You're listening to Words of Encouragement, the preaching ministry from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Winsboro, Louisiana. We begin a new series today entitled, The Great Stories of the Bible. The Great Stories of the Bible. Today we look at the fall, here on Words of Encouragement. I remember um, one time here at First Baptist Church of Winsboro where I preached from the Old Testament, and I remember someone saying, I love it uh, when you preach from the Old Testament. I like the Old Testament stories. And I was thinking about that as I was looking ahead uh, several weeks ago and thought, you know, I have not really centered in on the great what I would I consider, uh, really, <laughs> I should have titled this series, The Better Known Stories of the Bible. <laughs> uh, but I have not really intentionally focused uh, in my preaching ministry here on the well-known or the great stories of the Bible. And now I approached, uh, when I came here, I approached this pulpit thinking, well, my goodness, all of you know those. Uh, We're going to go uh, in different places in the Bible, and we're going to look at some other things that maybe we're not so familiar with. And so that was my intent when I came in 2010. Good night, 2010. Um, and that was my intent. And so after all this time, though, I, I know we've touched on a few of the great stories. Uh, I, know we, I know we looked at Jonah before, and I know that there were some other areas that we looked at. But I thought, you know, I'm going to go ahead, and it's time to focus, I think, on the great stories of the Bible. And I hope that you'll enjoy this as we walk through the Bible together, looking at just those big stories. Now, I also want to say, I also need to preface this sermon uh, by saying that Old Testament narratives are sometimes the hardest to preach. Now, you would say, well, now, preacher, why is that? That just seems, that just seems odd. I mean, it's, just, it's the Bible. Uh, why would it, any parts of it be harder to preach than other parts? Well, because in the New Testament, they did not go into great, great detail in some of your, in some of what the uh, gospel writers and what Paul uh, recorded, uh, as far as now, uh, 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 let's just say, let's put Jesus in the Old Testament. He is in the Old Testament. Don't you know? Don't get me wrong, but uh, I mean, but what I'm saying is, uh, let's put Jesus in the Old Testament and say, okay, we're telling a story, and we're telling it Old Testament style. He got himself ready. He then walked into town. And then he met some people. The Old Testament narratives go into great detail and you get all this extra information in here. And so in order to preach an Old Testament narrative, it takes some doing. You are unable to read out loud to all of you every single verse in the narrative uh, there because it would take too long. (laughs) And so in the time period that I have, I'm going to do my best as we look this morning at the fall. The fall. Uh, I want to thank you for joining us as we begin this series, which I've entitled Great Stories of the Bible. And as we walk through these great stories, I think we're going to find some valuable lessons that apply to us today and give us insight as to how God works 
and as, how, and as to how God relates to us. The day we look at today, uh, the, the fall that we look at today, is the day that sin entered into uh, our world and affected us as human beings. If you are able, I'm going to ask that you stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God from Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. The Bible tells us when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Or as the Bible, as some versions say, aprons. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. I invite you to be seated. The first thing I want us to see in this passage is that we're looking at the, the evil. The evil is encountered in the garden. Evil. Picture this. Everything is fine. There are two people and they have a lot of animals and they're living in the Garden of Eden. Now, I, I, know, uh, there, I know some of you are animal lovers. Some of you have had pets. Uh, this just sounds pretty good. Uh, living in this beautiful garden, there's animals everywhere. Uh, and not only is everything fine in this garden, it is perfect. Now, when we say perfect... Uh, we may think, well, it was nicely landscaped and it had little bricks that went around the trees and just, uh, you know, and there's pine straw. And, uh, you know, we like uh, a nicely, ma- I appreciate a nicely manicured and uh, uh, lawn, uh, one, that is, uh, one that has been landscaped. Uh, I love that. It looks so pretty. But it also takes a lot of time and effort to get that done. I also know that. Uh, but everything in this garden is perfect. That is until verse 1 of chapter 3. Look at verse 1, and I like how this begins. Now the serpent, whoa, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. This sneaky little guy makes his onstage presence an appearance, and he speaks to Eve. He is subtle, he is sly, he is deceptive as he questions what God has said about the trees in the garden. He purposefully includes all the trees, any, every tree as he questions Eve. Is it true that you may not eat from every tree of the garden? That wasn't the truth. But the way the devil puts it, Well, is that what God said? You can't eat from every tree, can you? Isn't that just sad? Uh, He asks for clarification, though, here. And with his has God said or hath God said, he is trying to place doubt in her mind as to her understanding of God's command. Now, the devil is deceptive. The devil is good at deception. He's good at placing the little seed of doubt in our mind. He does a good job of that, and he, that is his job. He is good at it. And if he can put a little doubt in your mind, 
And you know, let me, let me stand off to the side here and let's make an application here as well. He likes to put a little doubt in your mind when people talk to you and when they say things to you. They may say something that is totally just straight up, hey, I like that dress. But the devil puts a, some seed of doubt in your mind and you may walk away thinking, I don't think they meant that. I don't think they meant that. I, I think what they really meant is they didn't like the dress, but they were trying to be nice to me and say they liked the dress. Look, this is how the devil works. This is what he likes to do. Put a little seed of doubt in your mind where you start thinking and you're second-guessing everything everybody said. He loves that because he is a master of chaos. He is a master of creating confusion. And he loves to do that, especially when it comes to God's people. And so this is what he is trying to do here, has God said... Did he say that you can't eat of any tree of the garden? Mr. Master of Deception here, placing the doubt in our minds about all types of things and situations. Why did she engage this serpent in conversation? He is, he, he is constantly seeking to deceive. She has freedom of choice. You remember that. Eve has freedom of choice. She can choose not to listen to this serpent. She has that choice to ignore, but she chooses to engage him in conversation. Look at verses 2 and 3. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the tree of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Now, Eve adds to this explanation the command not to even touch the fruit. Not to even touch the fruit. We do know later that for Israel, touch was associated with prohibition and death or with consecration to God. It is interesting that she added this to God's command. He did not say, or touch it. Now, there are some who feel that maybe Adam said, you know, just don't even touch it. You know, sometimes that's what we do. That's what we tell our children, you know, it's just, okay, don't, don't get near, uh, uh, no, 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 just don't even get near it, don't even touch it. That it'd just be best if you just don't touch it. Okay. <laughs> and so there's, there are scholars who feel that maybe Adam just said, you know, it was something like that, maybe just don't touch it. But Eve adds this uh, to the command, she's try, I think she's trying to make it clear that God was clear in the fact that we sh we're not supposed to take of this fruit. We are just not supposed to be a part of this. Look at verse 3 again. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Now, the devil directly refutes what God says. And uh, in verse 4, it says, the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. Uh-oh. He refutes what God says, paints for Eve a picture of a God who is deceptive and withholding information from her that she has a right to know. Oh, Eve, you, oh no, you're not going to die. What in the world? Oh my, that's not true. God's holding back from you some information you need to know and you deserve to know. You see what he's doing? This is how he works with us even today. You deserve to know that. You deserve to know. I mean, he is good at deception. He places in her mind the idea that she can question the authority of God to make commands for his people. Hmm. If you have read this true story from the Bible, then you know that they did not immediately die. And that's what it seems to be indicated by the serpent. Oh, you're not going to die. Oh, my. Oh, no, that's not going to happen. 
You're not going to die immediately. That's, I mean, he didn't say that. He just says, oh, no, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. The serpent spoke only about what she would gain, only about what she would get if she were to partake of the fruit. It says in verse 5, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be like him and God doesn't want you to be like him. So he's, he just doesn't want you to partake of this fruit that God is withholding from you, Eve. And, oh, what kind of God is this? Oh, he doesn't want you to be like him. So they say, don't eat. Oh, don't partake of this fruit. Don't be a part of this. So he only speaks about what she would gain Avoiding what she would lose. Though the man and woman did not die immediately upon eating the fruit, the expectation and assignment to death were soon enough. They did eventually die. Whereas I truly I believe if they had not eaten of the fruit, they probably would still be here. Unless there was a time where God decided, okay, they've lived too long. Look at verse, uh, uh, look at verse 5 again there. He says that God, God knows that if you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. You're, you're going to be like him. You're, you're going to know good and evil. God's holding back. What happens next? What happens next? The fall of mankind. Evil enters into the heart of mankind. Look at verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable, desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Notice Adam is with her here. He decided as well as she did to go ahead and partake. I know there's a lot been, uh, that has been said about blaming Eve for the fall of mankind. <laughs> I know that people say, well, it was her fault. If she had ever done that, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but, 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 but. God, uh, uh, Adam partakes as well. He is with her and he partakes. He had a choice. He could have chosen not to. Well, his wife, you know. Oh, come on, honey. Here, look, you take two. A lot has been tried to be, a lot of it has been tried, uh, has been a place upon Eve as being responsible for it all. And I would say no. Uh, if, if you look at Adam and he in his position and where he, who he is supposed to be, he messed up. He chose not to. Uh, not to do what he knew he was uh, to do. He chose to do what he was not to do. And he partook. So what do you do? My first question for us this morning is, what do you do when confronted with temptation? What do you do? How many of you have seen that show, What Would You Do? Uh, Anybody? What Would You Do? Ah, well, that's a shame for you. Um, The show is on, I think it's on ABC. uh, And what they do, they set up situations, real life situations, out in public. And they watch and see how the public will respond. I've shared, I think I've shared this with you before. Uh, one was about child trafficking, and it had a little girl, and she, she had come to meet somebody she had met online, and it was an older man, and it was supposed to be a boy her age, and it wasn't, and he was going to persuade her to go with him, and people around were like listening and seeing this, and the whole thing was staged, but the people in the restaurant had no clue. And so many of them stopped and said, no, 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 honey, don't go. No, 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 you're not going with him. And they stepped in. What would you do? And so that's the whole premise of the show, seeking to see what the public, how the public would respond. Would people stand up against something they saw was wrong? Would they do something about it? So now I ask you, when faced with temptation, what do you do? Do you give in? 
Do you, do you allow the devil to tell you, oh, it's okay, it's not that big a deal? Look, the best thing or, or the, the, the most common thing I hear him say is, oh, everybody else is doing it. You can do it too. Is that what he says to you? When you're faced with temptation, do you hear that voice too? Oh, everybody, it's okay. If everybody does it, surely, you know, nobody's really getting in trouble. I can do it too. The devil's good. He's very good at deceiving. And he throws a lot of things like that at us. So what do you do when faced with temptation? What do you do? Eve and Adam, we know what they did. Oh my, how embarrassing to have it recorded for all of time. Here it is on the page. We get to see their, mis- their missteps are their sin. We get to see what they did. You, you, me, we ought to praise God that nobody's writing down all our sins to expose to the, to the rest of the world and have it in print forever. We better be happy. This is not... But what they did affects us. Let's move along. The evil is then dealt with. After eating what they were not to eat... Something happened. They suddenly did gain knowledge of knowing what was good and knowing what was evil. They suddenly realized that they didn't, they didn't have any clue. Now, it wasn't an issue before that. There was no problem with it before that. But all of a sudden, whoa, they have no clothes. And that's a problem. And they need something. They, they clothe themselves with loincloths, uh, coverings, or apron-like uh, girdles. In fact... Um, well, we'll see a little bit of that in a minute. Look at, verse, uh, look at verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. Now, I would love to have known what that sounded like. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Was it like, was it a booming? Was it a big heavy step? In the, I don't know. But they heard him walking in the garden. Was it like a mighty rushing wind? Was it like, did it sound like the big tree limb over at the parsonage when it fell at 5 a.m.? The week before last. Was it, was it that? Did, I don't know. I don't know, but I would love to have heard it. But it says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Oh, that sounds real good to me too. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So they ran and hid in the tree. Oh my. Oh my, Adam and Eve, they know they've done something that they should not have done and they're hiding. Isn't that what we do? You remember your children? You remember your children? Maybe, maybe they broke something in the house. Maybe something, I remember we, we accidentally broke a lamp at my house growing up, my brother and I. I cannot to this day know if it was me or if it was him. I just remember it was us because we were playing and somehow it broke. Well, thankfully, it fell behind a table. So we were like, okay, we're fine. It's not noticeable. I mean, it's not there, but it's not broken where people can see. We're okay. It's going to be okay. Why did we think it was going to be okay? How in the world did we even think that my mother walking in the living room would not notice that the lamp is not there? I don't know. We're kids. We're kids. Hey. She looks behind and she sees it. Oh my goodness. What happened here? Who broke the lamp? Oh, uh, yeah, then we're in trouble. But we thought we could hide. We actually thought we could hide the fact that we had broken something in our home. 
We thought we could get away with it. Adam and Eve, they actually thought, well, we'll just hide from God, okay? We'll just go in the tree, hide from God. Well, now that's an oxymoron, isn't it? That's an interesting thing to think about. We're going to hide from God. We're going to get in a place where he can't see us. Oh, really? Is there such a place? <laughs> I don't know that there's, a, there's such a place. But they hide from him in the trees, the Bible tells us. They have gone against their creator. They have disobeyed, and they are ashamed, and they are, they're feeling horrible. I love how in verse 9, God calls out to them, Where are you? Where art thou? Where are you? Does God not know where they are? No, he knows. He knows. He wants them to confess. He wants them to stand up. He wants them to stand up and say, here we are. It's us. He wants them to confront what they have done. He wants them to be serious and to just come up to him and confront their sin. Now, God is not doing this in a judgmental way, in a harsh way, in a mean way. He is allowing them. Notice, he, is allow, he asks, where are, you? where are you? He asks for them to reveal themselves. He knows where they are, but he's giving them an opportunity to confess. This is who God is. He, oh yes, the judgment's going to come, but right now he is being, and always is, a loving God. I love how he asks where they are. Adam confesses he heard God and was afraid because he was naked. God asks, who told you that you were naked? I love how he just says, you know, get it out. Come on. What'd you do? What happened? Tell me what happened. I want you to tell me. Be honest with me. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Adam does what a little child would do. And as Charles Stanley says, he play, he, Adam plays the very first blame game. He decides, oh, uh, uh, it was Eve. Now, if, no, no, no look, um, he blames Eve. Now, what I want you to see here is, let's see, where is it? Who told you you were naked? Okay, the one, okay, this is it, verse 12. Oh, my goodness. The man said, the woman whom you gave me, gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. What is he saying here? Oops. Now, can we say overstep the boundary? I, I, oh, Eve, Eve did, Eve, she, she made me eat it. No, no, no. The woman you gave me told me to eat it. Oh, my. I think we've gone a little too far. God, it, it was you. You gave me the woman, and she... So, really, uh, <clears throat> I'm not to be at fault. You gave me her. She told me, made me eat it, or whatever. Oh, here I am. Oh, boy. He has pushed a little too far. God asks her, what is this that you have done? Eve then blames the serpent. <laughs> Here we go. Oh, it was the serpent. It was the serpent. It was a serpent. Uh, God then punishes the serpent by cursing it more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. The serpent will lie on its belly and eat dust all the days of its life. God then says he will put enmity between the serpent and the woman and her offspring. This enmity carries with it the hostility level experienced among nations in war that results in murder. I mean, this... Uh, don't like snakes. <laughs> Don't like snakes. I mean, this is a this is enmity between 
The serpent, the woman, and her offspring. God continues and he says the woman will have pain and childbirth and her desire will be for her husband and he will rule over her. He then mentions that the ground is cursed because of what he did in the eating of the fruit. In toil or sorrow, he will eat of it all the days of his life. He's going to have to work for what he's going to be able to eat. He's going to have to work by the sweat of his face He will return to the ground, for he is dust, and to dust he shall return. We then see the woman being named named Eve and God God making garments of skin for Adam and his wife. Notice with this act, what is he doing? He's still taking care of them. He still has compassion on them. He still loves them. He still cares for them. So he makes, the Bible tells us, he makes garments for them. Wow. He shows this in such a wonderful way of taking care of them. But they do have to suffer the consequences of their sin. Sin entered into the heart of mankind and this bent towards sin has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. The consequences of our sin is that we will go to hell. That's the consequences of it. We will die and we will go there. Are you aware of your sin? Are you aware of the consequences of your actions? Is it real to you? The fact that because you have sinned, you are going, you are headed to hell. Now, somebody needs to do something. I mean, oh my goodness, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. So somebody's got to do something. And we know that God did something in sending his son, Jesus. But the consequences of our actions will catch up with us, just as they did with Adam and Eve. We're going to hide from God. Oh, no, you're not. Oh, you're going to have to fess up. You're going to have to confess to God what you did. You're going to have to talk to him. You're going to have to get with him and talk with him. He's not looking down at you like you like so many parents have looked down at you when you've done wrong. I believe God looks at you and says, hey, what's going on? What did you do? What happened? Did you really choose to do that? Why did you choose to do that? What's going on? What's going on? I see God as a concerned, loving parent. But I also see God as a God who will not let sin just fade away. The consequences of sin don't just fade away. He doesn't let that happen either. He is a just God. The consequences of our actions will catch up with us. The last thing we see is that mankind is placed under the punishment of God. Look at verse 22. The Bible says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the man had become like one of them. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil effected a change, not in the physical constitution of man, but in his mental experience, his knowledge of good and evil. Suddenly, oh, there is a knowledge of good and evil. Adam could not stay in the garden because the tree of life was there. And man must leave the garden to prevent his eating of the tree of life. For in such a condition of rebellion, his continued existence on the earth would only pollute the universe. So he had to to leave that perfect garden. He had to leave that perfect place. The tree of life represents everlasting life, lost to Adam unless it is allowed by God. In the account of the tree of life and the tree of knowledge, some, some scholars find a Uh, kind of of a combining of the two accounts with only, uh, or some of them feel there's only one tree. Some of them say, well, no, wait, there's two. But both trees are now in the story at this point and are necessary for the understanding of it because man ate of the tree of knowledge. He lost his 
right to the tree of life. God sends him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the very ground from which he was taken. Bible teacher Clyde Francisco says, because man ate of the tree of knowledge, he lost his right to the tree of life. This is what we refer to as the fall of man. From this point onward, there has been a separation of man from God. But, but through Jesus, God has made it possible for you to be reconciled with Him. Through trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins and allowing Him to be in charge of our lives, we're able to be placed in right relationship with God. We're able to be in that relationship that He wants to have with us before sin entered the world. We can have that relationship with Him. Are you there today? Are you one who needs to be in right relationship with Jesus, with God? Are you one who is there who needs to confess your sins to Him and say, God, I have sinned. Forgive me of my sins. Come inside of my heart. Be in charge of my life. Maybe you need to give your life to Christ today. Maybe you're here and maybe you have sinned and your sin has not separated you from your salvation. If you're a Christian... If you've asked Christ to come into your heart to forgive you of your sins, you are in the hands of God. He is keeping your salvation. But when you as a Christian sin, there is, it, it, the relationship's not good. It's not good. It gives you the feeling of, oh, I don't know if I can talk to God again because I've sinned and I've, I, know he's gonna be, I know he's disappointed. It's hard to face someone that we have disappointed and maybe I'll just wait. Don't wait. Don't wait. Talk to the Lord. You'll find he is a loving God, ready to forgive, willing to forgive. But he's not going to just sit back and just let it all fade away. Oh, there's all my children. They've all a bunch of sinners down there, but they, hey, they're my kids. But mm. No, he cares about how we live. He cares about how we live out our lives in front of others because we're supposed to be examples for this world. We're supposed to be the children of God in this world, pointing others to Him. And so if we're caught up in sin, God cannot use us in the way He wants to use us. And so if you are in sin today, it, this morning, sitting here in this, uh, in this uh, congregation, in this building that we call uh, the church, and you're in sin, I want to encourage you to talk to the Lord about it. I want to encourage you to go to Him. You will find a welcoming Heavenly Father who is willing to forgive you of your sin. If you will repent, turn away from that sin, talk to the Lord, repent of your sin. Allow Him to forgive you and move along in your relationship with Him. Listen, your life matters so much in this world as a Christian that there are people who, if, you, if they are watching you living consistently in sin, they're going to be pulled away from God because they're watching you. They're putting a lot of stock in you. Oh, now, preacher, they should watch Jesus. Amen, they should be turning their eyes toward him. But they want somebody they can look at. They want flesh and blood. They want somebody they can watch and look and talk to. And that's you and that's me. We are the children of God. And so we must live as children of God. So we should have a short account when it comes to sin. We should have our lives should be uh, fessed up, as they say. We should always be walking with the Lord in such a way that when we know, oh my goodness, I have just sinned, 
We repent, we turn away from it, and we walk forward with Jesus. But that's who we are as children of God. And so maybe you're here this morning, maybe you need to talk to Him about some sin in your life. Maybe you need to repent. Look, don't be afraid. You have a God who loves you. You have a God who cares about you so much that he, that he gives us these true stories in his word about other people who have sinned and then haven't been made right with him. But you and I, we need to talk with the Lord. What do you do when confronted with temptation? You better believe the consequences of our actions will catch up with us. Consequences for our sins do come, but with God there is forgiveness. With God there's forgiveness. We go to him. We ask to be forgiven. He forgives us. But that doesn't give us free reign to go sin some more. Remember what he told the lady, uh, what Jesus told the lady, go and sin, sin no more. That's what he told her. Go and sin no more. Just because we can ask God to forgive us does not give us free reign to do whatever we want. Oh, we can just come back and ask God, oh, forgive me, God, okay. No, 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 no. No, we're to be living a life with Jesus, walking with him, talking with him, looking like him, behaving like him in the way we behave talking like him and the way he talked, the way he had compassion on others. People are looking. They're wondering, who are we? Yes, who are you? Are you a child of God? Are you one who is walking with Jesus daily? Because, well, people can see. People can tell. And people need to know that you belong to Jesus. I hope that you, if you are in sin right now, I mean, you're not... I'm not saying you're doing something horrible, horrible. (laughs) We rate sin, don't we? But God does not. Sin is sin. Sin separates us from Him. So if you have sinned, then you have not talked to the Lord about that. Would you do that today? If you're a believer and you need to do that, would you do that? If you're not a believer and you're saying, you know, I'm just listening to this. I'm just listening to this to see what this joker has to say. I don't know who he is, but uh, I'm just trying it out. Well, let me suggest that you investigate a little more thoroughly. Uh, Open a Bible. Grab a Bible. Get a Bible. Find a Bible. uh, Open it up and read it. And begin to see how God moves. And begin to see the love of God. Begin to see how much He loves you. I suggest with, uh, well, just start with the Gospel of John. Grab a Bible, open it up to the Gospel of John. It's in what we call the New Testament. In fact, there is a an index, a table of context in the in the front of every Bible, and it will tell you what page John starts on. Now, it's not First, Second, Third John. It's just John, and uh, you'll find that. And I want you to read that. I want you to open up yourself to reading the Book of John and allowing God to move in your heart. Remember, you can contact us by going to fbcwinsboro.com. That's fbcwinsboro.com. I hope that you are walking closer with Jesus, and I hope that you have been encouraged today on Words of Encouragement.